The Wheel of Crime podcast is a true crime podcast that includes graphic and explicit content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Wheel of Crime podcast and mini spin, and I'm Megan, your tour guide. So today I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, when I first started this podcast, I asked several people uh, about the cases they'd want to hear, cases that were from Indianapolis and beyond, and my coworker Phil Dixon was the one who suggested that I cover Stephen Judy, uh, and that was episode number one, which I'm glad I did because so far I don't think anybody has heard of him. Um, no podcasts have covered it except for mine, which is awesome. So if you haven't heard it, stop this episode, go back and listen. Go ahead. I'll be here when you get back. Hey, welcome back. So when suggesting that case, he also suggested the case um, that I'm covering today. And this lit a fire in me. This was the shooting death of Cynthia Grayson. When I first started researching it, I couldn't find anything. This was not a highly publicized case like the murder of Sylvia Likens, so there wasn't a whole lot of information out there about it. So recently I decided I'm going to go back to uh, newspapers.com and did a free trial, and that's where I got all the information for today's case. So Cynthia Grayson was born on July 4th, 1950 to James Harold Grayson and Mary Ann Schuler from Morovia. She had three sisters, Cheryl, Carol, and Carla, and two brothers, Alan and James. Uh, her grandfather was also a retired printer for the Indianapolis Star, by the way. Um, let's see here. She also attended Decatur Central High School. This is the alma mater of my parents, my aunt, my uncles, and this is where my, my oldest son currently attends and my youngest son will attend. And this is on the southwest side of Indianapolis. Along the walls of the high school are framed photos of each graduating class throughout the years. The last time I went to the high school, which was last, I think last week, directly across from the room where I was meeting with one of my son's teachers was a photo of this 1968 graduating class. 1968. Now remember this, most newspapers report that she graduated in 69. Nope, 68. Okay, so there's Cynthia's picture depicting a pretty blonde-haired girl with a nice smile who looks like she could have had any sort of life she wanted. Now, coincidentally, in that same graduating class was my oldest Uncle Steve. I asked my uncle if he knew her, and he said that he did know her, but wasn't very close with her. She was shy, but really came out of her shell that last year of high school. Now, according to the yearbook, she was in the art club and the future nurses program. I don't know if she was going back to school for nursing at the time of her death, but it doesn't mean that she wasn't either. Now, in an article published in 1969 in the newspaper uh, of the Indianapolis Star, it announced the engagement of Cynthia Grayson and Clancy Fischero Jr. of Canby, Indiana. Canby is a small blip on the map between Indianapolis and Mooresville, as you heard in episode number one. Go back and listen. I'll wait. Hey, welcome back. 
So Clancy's brother Mike is one of my uncle's close friends from high school. Clancy and Cynthia were looking forward to a summer wedding, though the article does not indicate the year, but I'm going to assume that it was the summer of 1970. Now, by the time of her murder, newspaper articles state that investigators said she dated regularly, but didn't have a steady boyfriend. And I found an announcement for the engagement of Clancy Fischero Jr. to Lynette Harris in September of 1970. So I suspect that the engagement was called off between Clancy and Cynthia before her murder. Now, regardless, Cynthia was doing very well for herself. She had a good job at the post office downtown uh, in Indianapolis where she worked alongside her mother. Because they worked slightly different work hours, they drove separately to and from work. Uh, Cynthia drove a cherry red 1969 Chevy Nova. It was a nice car at that time. On the morning of January 3rd, 1970, and by morning I mean like 12.30 a.m. or 1 o'clock, uh, she left for work after chatting with a co-worker for a while and then headed towards home. As was her routine, Cynthia stopped to use a payphone located on the corner of Kentucky Avenue, which is also called State Road or Indiana Road 67, and Holt Road. She called home every night to let her, know, let her family know that she was on her way. She spoke with her sister Cheryl, who at the time was 15, and asked if her mother had arrived home yet, then said she would, and news reports do not indicate whether or not she was home, uh, but then told her sister she'd be home in a few minutes. She'd last seen her mother at work, at work around 7 p.m. Now, at this particular corner was a Reichert pharmacy, and above the store were apartments. Around 1.34 a.m., two workers came by to clean the pharmacy and found Cynthia's car still running, lights on, stereo playing, the driver's side door slightly ajar, and Cynthia laying on the ground, partially underneath the car. They ran across the street to a gas station and called the police. Now, police questioned the workers at the gas station, but they said they didn't hear a gunshot or even see her car in the parking lot because they weren't paying attention. They weren't sure at first if she'd been stabbed or shot until the autopsy revealed that she had been shot in the chest with a 22 caliber gun and the bullet had gotten lodged in her spine. Her death certificate says that she died from a gunshot wound to the thorax. Now, when police arrived on the scene, of course, people are going to start going, hey, what's going on over there? So a 16-year-old boy named Michael Woods, who lived upstairs from the pharmacy, came downstairs from the apartments after they arrived to see what was going on, but quickly ushered back upstairs. Police would question at least eight people throughout the course of that day, but Indianapolis Star reported that police commented on the similarities between Cynthia's murder and the murder of a young woman a year before in December 1968 named Susan Beth Hobb, uh, who was found shot three times on the lawn of a retired police officer on the northwest side of Indianapolis. At the time of Cynthia's death, this case was still unsolved, and while I did find an article stating in April of 1969 a man named Xavier Whitaker was a person of interest, he hadn't actually been charged with this. Now, he, he had been identified in a lineup as the person who had gotten into a woman's car, robbed her of $82, then attempted to rape her. She just left her parents' house when a man drove up behind her and flashed his headlights uh, trying to get her to pull over. Now, she thought it was her parents because she lived out of town, so she was on her way out. She's thinking, maybe I left something behind and they're trying to let me know. But no, that was not the case. Uh, I couldn't find anything indicating that he'd been charged with Hobbs' murder, but Cynthia wasn't robbed. She was still clutching a leather coin pouch that was full, and her purse contained $145 in cash. 
Her car was still there. The engine was still running. And there was no evidence of a sexually assault because she was still fully clothed. So the autopsy showed the trajectory of the bullet. And based on that, they were able to determine that it, that it was fired from an upstairs window where Michael Woods lived with his mother, Frances. Michael was arrested after police found five shell casings in his pocket. Now, he told them that he'd went rabbit, rabbit hunting uh, that day with his brother-in-law in Camby, uh, from whom he'd borrowed the twenty-two caliber rifle, caliber rifle, I can never say caliber, the week before the murder. Now, the police said that the shell casings were probably from that hunting trip, so they weren't that concerned about that, but still. Woods told police that he'd stolen a half pint of whiskey from the Reichert Pharmacy, which was below his apartment, and was drunk when he saw her and decided to scare her. At first, he didn't admit to it. The police told him why they suspected him about the trajectory of the bullet, and he told them he didn't even see her until he heard her moaning in the parking lot. But even at that, he didn't do anything. He didn't call anybody, didn't go down and help her, nothing. So, hmm, big red flag there. Investigators told him that they were going to test the gun and see if it was uh, to see if it fired the bullet that had killed Cynthia. And when pressed further, Woods asked, "You're not going to beat me, are you?" After being assured that he wouldn't be beaten, he started sobbing and said, "I didn't mean to kill her. I just wanted to scare her." He said he had aimed the gun two feet away from Cynthia and shot the gun, but it hit her instead. He said he heard her moaning in the parking lot for like a half an hour. He was too scared to move, but he turned on the television and watched a Sherlock Holmes film called Terror by Night. <laughs> Detectives told the Indianapolis Star that Woods had said, quote, I guess this really looks bad, but hell, I didn't mean to kill her. I guess if I ever get out of this, I'll have to go somewhere and somewhere else and start over where they never even heard of me. After being questioned by police, his mother came to the sheriff's department where she was informed that her son confessed to killing Cynthia. The Indianapolis Star reported that Mrs. Wood screamed, He's my baby! before she collapsed on the floor. Now, after being revived, she was taken back to the interrogation room where she threw her arms around him and exclaimed, What can I do now? I haven't got nothing, only trouble. On January 28, 1967, the Indianapolis Star had indicated that Frances Woods filed for divorce from Franklin D. Woods, which is Michael's father. But at the time of Michael's arrest, the paper also says that she's still married to him, which they were only separated. I don't think they ever actually went through the divorce. So at the time, Franklin D. Woods... Uh, was sentenced to a one-year term in Indiana State Penal Farm only 10 days before Michael shot Cynthia for non-support for the boy. What I find strange is that most articles call him Michael Woods Jr., though his father's name was Franklin. He's not a junior at all. So anyway, Michael told the police that he was born in Indianapolis, but he'd lived in several different places in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky. Now, while attending Martinsville Junior High... His sister had run away to get married, and he said he'd missed a lot of school looking for her. He just never went back either, so he dropped out of junior high. The principal of that school, Ronald Bell, said that Woods was not a kid who exhibited any real bad behavior, but they'd have some disciplinary problems with him, but it was problems mostly in the classroom. Bell said that Michael was well-liked and that he was bigger than most of the other kids in his class and was popular with the girls. He'd worked as a tree trimmer with his brother-in-law, but had decided to, quote, take a vacation about two weeks before his arrest. 
even though he'd been given an increase in salary around that time. Sometime before this incident, he and his father was charged with a theft for stealing a chainsaw from a floor in Plainfield. So he helped his dad steal his chainsaw. I, I don't know. There was no actual charges that stemmed from it. Now, Michael Woods said that he told his brother-in-law about the shooting while they were hunting, but didn't mention his role in her death. And though his lawyer said that he was remorseful, the interviews printed in the paper that he'd given while incarcerated kind of paints him less than. In an article titled, I had these dreams, dot, 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 I heard a girl screaming, written by Robert Pierce and was published on February 22nd, 1970. Michael states, quote, I had these dreams for a while where I heard a girl screaming, but I couldn't see her face. The worst time is at night. There are always lights on in here, lights in your eyes all the time. At least those dreams have stopped. They scared the hell out of me. He also said, I don't even know that girl's name. I don't want to. If you think about it all the time, well, it'd drive you crazy. Did the newspaper call me a mad dog sniper? My mother said they did. Everybody thinks I'm a killer. Really, it was just an accident. Now, does that sound like remorse to you? Because it does not to me. He goes on to say, quote, I think a lot about what's going to happen. It must be easy to be a judge. It's so simple. Just put, away, put a guy away for life. Don't get me wrong. I'm sorry. I really am. I'd change places with her if I could, but I'm only 16. I've got a lot of living to do. I mean, she was only 19. Like, she didn't have a lot of living to do? Come on. After talking about the jail conditions, Wood says, Why can't they take the bars out of the doors and windows so you can breathe? They'll have to kill me before I spend the rest of my life in jail. He talks about making friends with the other guys on his floor, but also says most of them are in here for a bum rap. Quote, My mother comes in every week, but mm, she cries most of the time. I have a whole stack of letters from home. They say it'll be nice to see me again. And I bet Cynthia's family feels the same damn way. The reporter asked him why he shot Cynthia, to which she replies, Why? I told you it was a, you know what? I was playing around with a shotgun at my grandmother's house in Ohio about a year ago. I didn't know there was a shell in it. I blew a hole in the wall and missed my grandmother by about a foot. He was asked why he didn't learn from that. So he said, quote, Why didn't I learn? My mind, well, you know, I'm a kid. I'm still a kid. I mean, I'm big for my age and I've always been able to take care of myself. Well, it was just stupid. Now he goes on and says, quote, dig this. If I go to prison, I'm going to get a high school diploma. Maybe I'll be a barber. You have to have an education in the outside world. I've already got four job offers for jobs when I get out. Also, I think I'm going to get muscle bound. I saw this guy in one of those magazines, you know, it's really cool. I think that if I had been in school, this never would have happened. You can't pay me to get near a gun again. I think the thing that bothers me the most is not knowing what's going on outside. I found this newspaper in a trash can a couple weeks ago. Did I go wild? I put it back for someone else to find. Nowhere in any of these statements does he say that he's sorry for what actually happened. He's saying that he is, but listen to what he's actually saying. He's talking about himself. How he wants to get out of here. I'm only 16. I have a lot of life to live. He don't even want to know her name. Come on. 
Okay, so Michael Woods pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 2 to 21 years at the Indiana State Reformatory. Now, this is the same place where Coy Hubbard, Johnny Beneshevsky, and Ricky Hobbs served 2 to 21 years for their role in the murder of Sylvia Likens. And just like those boys, Michael Woods didn't serve a very long stint there either. Woods escaped from the reformatory in 1974. On January 22, 1975, he was caught in Kentucky and returned. Now, despite the escape, he was paroled in July 1, 1977. <laughs> on November 19, 1980, he participated in an armed robbery. It was unsuccessful on Kentucky Avenue, which was not very far from where he murdered Cynthia. But he was acting as the getaway driver. Now, he ended up getting a suspended sentence and was arrested in Morgan County and charged with stealing a pickup truck from a construction company and was charged additionally with failure to appear. Finally, he was jailed and made a trustee of the jail. Why? I don't know. He keeps getting off on all this shit. On April 13th, 1981, he was cleaning out a jail office and simply walked out the door. His wife didn't make it to work that day, and authorities think maybe she picked him up and drove away, but they don't really go into that, really. They don't even talk about him being married, other than just saying his wife didn't make it to work. But in an article for the Martinsville Reporter, the paper states that a man fitting Wood's description eluded sheriff's deputies earlier that day after he walked out of the, of the jail. One of the deputies fired a shot at him, but he jumped into a car on a used car lot and sped away. He was caught in September of that year in Nashville, Tennessee, where he was arrested on a charge of interstate flight to avoid prosecution. At the time, he had other charges pending against him, including violating the federal arms law and parole violation. The judge sentenced him to two consecutive terms for the theft of the truck, which he got credit for 265 days already served. However, the judge added another two-year term for escape, and provided that he get no credit for time served and that the sentence would start after the theft sentence was complete. Now, I was able, unable to find out anything else more about him, but on his father's memorial on uh, findagrave.com, now, his father died in 2008, uh, it does state that Franklin was preceded in death by his son Michael and his parents. So, I can't find anything about his death. I could not find an obituary, but... It is pretty much stated that he's not among the living now. While searching through old newspaper articles, one thing did stick out to me. Though time has seemingly forgot about this young girl and her untimely murder, her family did not. The Indianapolis Star would publish memorials sent in by families wanting to honor their loved ones that had already passed on. And the Grayson family, each and every year, published a memorial with her graduation photo, of her smiling so big and bright, telling the world that she was loved, missed, and remembered by all of the family. Cynthia's murder was senseless, committed by a bored but troubled teenager. With a single shot, he not only took away Cynthia's future, but ended up flushing his own life down the toilet in the process. Now, I drive by this site every day on my way to work, and I have not stopped thinking about that each and every day since Phil told me about it, since I started researching it. It was an absolute tragedy. And it's terrible to see what actually happened to Michael as he got older, too. Because it's two lives that just really are gone now. Both of them are gone. But anyway, that was today's mini spin. Thought I would bring that to you and entertain you today on this Christmas Eve. I hope you guys have a great Christmas. 
Enjoy your week. Don't be a dick.